friends, and welcome to Because CONCACAF, the podcast where we break down all the action and all the craziness from the Confederation of North and Central American and Caribbean Associations of Football, and sometimes the rest of the world too. With Don Palumbo, I'm Andy Lohman, and tonight we're going to talk about an exciting window of international soccer in the women's game. The United States returns to the field for the first time since the World Cup, CONCACAF's final spot at the Olympics will get decided, and we start qualifying for the first ever CONCACAF W Gold Cup. Dom, what are you excited about in this women's international window? I can't wait to just kind of learn about some of these um, mid-tier to smaller nations in CONCACAF and learn what their women's programs have to offer um, because the men's game gets so much publicity. Like it's really easy for even people who aren't sickos like you and I to get a feel for who's good and who isn't in CONCACAF just because the matches largely have been available for decades now. Um, I think it's great that Paramount Plus is showing every single one of these W Gold Cup qualifiers. I think it's great that they're going to be showing the Jamaica-Canada Olympic playoff um, I love that that's just randomly a two-legged tie. Like they very easily could have just punted it, thrown that thing in like Houston, Texas, and just played a one-off match. Like I love that they're making Canada go and play at Jamaica for this. Like, like has Canada ever had to play at Jamaica in the women's game? Well, that's a I, good question. I, mean, I, I have do that a research. feeling it's probably not. No. And I love that. Um, So I'm excited to learn. I mean, yes, I love watching the women's national team as much as the men, but as I've griped over and over again, if it's not a competitive match, it's hard for it to pique a lot of my interest, especially since the women's national team doesn't have a coach yet. Um, Still a ton of questions, I think, that need to be answered from that that group. But, um, you know, we'll get into it here in a minute, but I think, I think this window overall is going to be more about pomp, circumstance, ceremony, celebration, things of that sort. And um, ideally some of these newbies that have come into the, into the program for the first time, will get some run and we'll be able to see if they potentially have what it takes to um, be a part of the squad moving forward. Um, Cause maybe we'll be hosting a world cup in four years. I have no idea. We'll find out a lot to be excited about though. Uh, FIFA doesn't know either. Yeah. Nobody knows. Um, But I mean, there, there, there's a lot to look forward to, I think mainly away from the U S um, and, and hopefully, hopefully those matches on Paramount get a decent bit of viewership and um, hopefully the, the women's game throughout CONCACAF can grow kind of to the level that the men's game is at. So yeah, a lot to be excited about. Looking forward to get into it. Let's get into it. Uh, for what it's worth, I we are recording this on Wednesday evening. The W Gold Cup qualification started today, and uh, Panama is currently beating Guatemala one nothing on the fifty third minute. Riley Tanner scored the only goal, so I I'm helping out Paramount Plus's uh viewership numbers. And I also that's the group with the loser of Jamaica Canada, correct? I believe so. Big time match, yeah, Panama. Absolutely. If they get two wins, could uh, have a massive leg up. It is. It is indeed. Love that. Um, and it could be a re- if if Jamaica ends up losing that playoff, it could be a rematch of a World Cup group stage game. Also, um, one of the other matches already happened today. Suriname beat Dominica four 0 So maybe Suriname is our next uh, World Cup darling. Sure. Sure. Let's talk about the United States Women's National Team, though. They will host South Africa in a pair of friendlies. Uh, first on Thursday at 7.30 in Cincinnati, then on Sunday at 5.30 in Chicago. Both matches will be broadcast on TNT. After Vladko Andonovsky's resignation, assistant coach Twyla Kilgore will take over as interim head coach for these matches and a pair of friendlies against Columbia in October. She played collegiately at Arizona in the late 90s and early 2000s, where she ranks in the top 10 in school history for a career games started. She's also the head coach at UC Davis for five seasons and has been involved with U.S. soccer as both a senior team assistant and a youth team head coach for a couple years now. But possibly the most important aspect of these matches is that they will serve as a farewell for both Megan Rapinoe and Julie Ertz, who are retiring from the international soccer after this window. Ertz won two World Cups and Olympic bronze, scoring 20 goals and well over 100 caps. 
She played it as both a center back and a defensive midfielder, dominating the field in both positions, bruising on the tackle and dynamic going forward. At her peak, she was the best in the world at what she did. Rupino also won two World Cups and has an Olympic gold medal to add to her bronze. She scored 63 goals, 10th most in U.S. history, and over 200 caps. She's always been a dynamic winner with impeccable service and a great finishing instincts, but her zenith was at the 2019 World Cup, where she took home the golden boot and golden ball as the tournament's top scorer and best player, all the while setting an example by using her platform to stand up for human rights. We'll get into the nitty-gritty of the roster in a second, but Dom, what are your thoughts, you know, either generally on these matches or these two giants of the game? I mean, I think I think uh, Ertz and Rapino are going to be the entire story for both of these matches. Um, I'm fascinated to see kind of how U.S. soccer handles their collective exit. Do they, you know, maybe bench one of them for each match and give each of them kind of their own showcase match? Do they allow? I think that's what they're doing. Like, I think Ertz's like farewell match, if you will, will be. Uh, Friday, and then Rapino gets Sunday. I think. Sure. Or, sorry, Thursday. Sure. Um, you know, or do they let them both be a part of both matches? I'm. I mean, I'm. I guess I'm mainly fascinated to see that because for two individuals who have definitely helped shape our generation of the women's national team, um, them leaving is going to be very emotional. Um, I think there'll be special moments. Um, but I also think it'll be a positive for the program because they'll be able to kind of actually close the book on both of them officially. Um, they've, I mean, they both have been integral into the dominance again of this generation over the last say 12 years. I mean, dating all the way to the 2011 World Cup when Megan Rapino sent in a miracle ball that magically found Abby Wambach's head in the quarterfinals against Brazil when Julie Ertz was Julie Johnston and was arguably the best center back at the 2015 World Cup and um, was, you could argue, the anchor of a back line that I don't believe allowed a goal in the knockout stages until the final when the U.S. was already up for nothing. Um, and then you mentioned in 2019, Megan Rapino almost solidifying herself, I think at that point as the best player in the world. Um, so yeah, there, I mean, there's, there's a lot we could probably analyze and overanalyze. Um, I think I'm going to go into this much like I did with the men's matches where it's going to be good to see the women playing. It's going to be cool to see some young players who haven't gotten any run yet get some of that chance. Um, but at the end of the day, the story is on two giants of the program that will be leaving the program and playing for the final time. Um, the manager situation, I think, is completely up in the air, but um, I think this is a phenomenal opportunity for Kilgore to um, kind of showcase what she can do just in terms of managing a match and managing a group of players over, you know, a two, three, four, five month period. And um, I'm assuming or almost hopeful she won't be <laughs> the full-time manager at the end of her interim run, but hopefully she can use this to say leverage a job in NWSL or maybe even back in college soccer or in the youth ranks of, of the women's national team. I'm going to assume that she is not a candidate for the uh, head coaching position. This feels like a Anthony Hudson yeah. situation where she takes the interim tag for a little bit and then leverages that into a, you know, a club role somewhere else. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned, I mean, Ertz and Rapino, obviously their, their list of accolades is very long, but I feel like when I think about their legacy to me, it's, it's that 2019 world cup because, and this all due respect to Spain. I think that 2019 United States team is like, at this point, still like the pinnacle of women's soccer. That team was so, so good from top to bottom, absolutely dominant at a time when the women's game, you know, had really taken a step up. Like going into that 2019 World Cup, it was the same thing we said about this World Cup, where it's like, oh, you know, like the rest of the world's catching up. Like we can't just like sleepwalk through everyone, which was absolutely true for 23. But in 19, we're all saying it too. And you know what we do? We still dominate everyone. And those two players were so crucial to that. Like when you think of that 2019 team, you think of Ertz 
being just the kingpin in the middle of the midfield, just the destroyer number six. You think of Rapino absolutely going god tier on the wing. I mean, up until that point, you know, she had been, you know, your assist uh, key, the assist queen. Uh, but she really took a step forward, you know, relatively late in her career. I mean, she's in her mid-30s at that point into being a dynamic scoring threat too. I mean, she's bearing penalties. She'd always been great on set pieces, but I mean, just, it really felt like she went up a notch. And that was at like the time when like controversy and political stances around the team were at their highest too. Um, yeah. Absolute legends. You, you don't get a chance to say goodbye very often. Like usually like a, an ending to a sporting career is very rarely the way you want it to be. I say that as a fan of the Green Bay Packers and thinking about quarterbacks uh, for our franchise. So, like, it's cool that you just get this opportunity. Um, yeah. That's a rare thing, I think, a thing to cherish. In terms of the head coaching search, I'm not hitting the panic button yet. Um, Matt Crocker, our sporting director, um, told the TNT crew after the men's national team beat Oman and they're friendly, he told them that he wants somebody by December. Like, that's the time frame that he is working with. Um which I guess is reasonable. Um, my front runner, uh, I have no inside sources, but my front runner is still Laura Harvey, currently the OL rain coach in NWSL. Previously coached Arsenal women. Um, she's been an assistant and a youth coach within U.S. soccer already. Um, she's been at a couple of different NWSL clubs. Three-time NWSL coach of the year. Won three NWSL shields with the rain. Bunch of trophies with Arsenal. Um, that's who my front runner is. I think a lot of other, like the the flashy candidates have said that you know, they're not necessarily interested. Um, like the England coach, Vegman, I believe, said that. I don't know if the Australian coach's name is escaping me. I should have written it down. Gustafsson, maybe. I don't know if he's interested either. And like some of like the other players, like people will throw out like wild names. Like someone's like, oh, what about Mia Ham? And Mia Ham's like, I have zero interest in that. I mean, I think the advance, like one, I'm assuming there's a pure like like the reason it's going to take quote unquote that long is like there are processes you have to go through i also think um like i'm sure twilight kilgore is close with a number of those executives in u.s soccer right and if you're going to give somebody the interim tag you may as well <laughs> give it to them in a long enough space to potentially earn something following their time as the interim manager right i, th I think um, given, I think given her track record and what she's done with the U S women's national team, I think at a youth level and as an assistant at the senior level, I think she deserves that chance to, to earn something for one. Um, and second, like, I think the advantage with this job is this is still, I believe the highest paying women's national team job or women's national team job in the world. Um, so I'm sure there are plenty of candidates that would be interested, you know, Kim McCauley, I remember during the world cup just kind of kept saying like, you can't tell me there's not a decent coach in the MLS that wouldn't be interested in this job just purely because of the amount of money U S soccer can throw at them. Um, so I'm sure there's a lot of options now who can handle the pressure of the job, who can, you know, kind of, I mean, I'm assuming each of these players have their own set of egos and, you know, are they going to be able to follow what was a pretty abysmal World Cup by U.S. soccer standards to kind of bring the camp back to where I would say most alums of the U.S. Women's National Team say that the team should never leave, which is the top of the women's soccer world. So, I, don't know. I mean, I'm sure there's 400 names we could throw in a hat, and I'm sure when they hire somebody in December, we'll go who or why or, oh, great. And at the end of the day, if they're not winning trophies, it's not really going to matter anyway. So, um, yeah, it's a big like, to that point, Like To add on it being the highest paying job, like Harvey, one of the reasons I have her as like my front runner is that she has even said, like, it is, like, the most prestigious job on top yeah. of that, too. Like, there's really few jobs in the women's game, at least, that, you know, top yeah. that. It's, like, So, then, to you know? your point, like, she may be the front runner. I don't know. Um, I will say it's probably good on U.S. soccer. I mean, they haven't made many good decisions of late, but um, 
I'm assuming that this window is going to just be all about Ertz and Rapino and all the coaching drama and any rumors with that are just going to kind of be taken and moved to the side, which I think those players deserve. And, um, you know, I think as we get closer to the end of 2023, I think you and I'll have a bit of a, a, a clearer picture of who it will be and be hopefully more information on kind of what to even make of the entire situation. I mean, the world cup wasn't that long ago and it, and it still feels really fresh. So hopefully a couple of drubbings of South Africa will make it all better, even though I don't. And we have, we have an Olympics in less than a year. I'm aware. Um, Judging off of Matt Crocker's previous hire as sporting director of us soccer, I'm going to assume that Vladimir Antonovsky is still a candidate. Shut up. (laughs) Uh, South Africa made their first World Cup knockout stage appearance uh, this summer. They fell 2-0 to a Netherlands team that the U.S. drew and probably was better than, probably could have beaten. Um, South Africa, Banyana Banyana, they are ranked 45th in the world, but I think they're better than that. Um, They did benefit a little bit from a weak group um, in the World Cup. They beat Italy and drew Argentina. Um, But I do think they're still good. They can press well. It's not necessarily like a a guy can press, like counter-press kind of thing. Like, you will have plenty of the ball against them. Um, it's almost like a tactical press where they just kind of, they really pick their spots and they can spring Tempe Katlana. Katlana is the star. She's an absolute weapon. Um, speed up top, finishing ability. She scored a couple goals for them at the World Cup. Currently playing for Racing Louisville in NWSL. It'll be fun. I, I think this these will both be the style of matches that um, will be entertaining, but will also play into the U.S.'s favor because, to your point, they will have a lot of the ball, but I don't see South Africa bunkering and countering. I do see them trying to open up play and maintain kind of a more fluid shape as opposed to just sticking 10 people behind the ball and praying they don't get scored on. So um, I would assume there's going to be a good number of goals in each of these matches. I would hope that Twilight Kilgore will understand how to allow these players to cook, so to speak, um, rather than playing in whatever system Vladko had them playing in for a while. Um, I I would hope they'll be entertaining. There'll be a ton of storylines. Shall we get into the rest of the roster? Let's get into it. Uh, The goalkeeping group remains the same from the World Cup with Aubrey Kingsbury and Casey Murphy backing up Alyssa Nair. World Cup defenders, Alana Cook, Crystal Dunn, Emily Fox, Naomi Gurma, Sofia Huerta, and Emily Sonnet all return. We do do have some new new names in this group. Tierna Davidson, promising young outside back for Chicago Red Stars. She was on the 2019 World Cup roster, also a 2020 Olympic bronze medal. Casey Kruger, she's Davidson's teammate in Chicago, won the 2020 Olympic bronze and helped the U.S. win the 2018 CONCACAF Women's Championship. They qualified them for the 19 World Cup. Also have M.A. Vignola, former Tennessee volunteer, is great. Uh, currently in her second season with Angel City. This would be her first senior team cap. Uh, Kelly O'Hara, she's still returning to full fitness, so she is not in this group. World Cup midfielders, Savannah DeMello, Julie Ertz, Lindsey Horan, Ashley Sanchez, and Andy Sullivan all return. Rose Lavelle is out with a lower leg injury. She's replaced by Sam Coffey in her second pro season with Portland Thorns. Uh, she was on the league's best 11 as a rookie last year um, as Portland won the title. She was also part of the team that won the 2022 CONCACAF Women's Championship, qualifying the U.S. for the World Cup. Forward group, uh, Alex Morgan, Megan Rapino, Trinity Rodman, Alyssa Thompson, and Lynn Williams all return. Sophia Smith is out with an M- a mild MCL sprain. We have four new names in this group and some exciting ones. Mia Fischel. She's one of the few Americans not based in the NWSL for her club team. She's currently playing for Chelsea and previously won a Liga MX title with Tigres. Uh, extensive caps as well for her, for official at the U.S. youth levels. Ashley Hatch, prolific goal scorer for Washington Spirit. She won a title with them in 2021. She also won the Golden Boot that year in NWSL. She has five U.S. Women's National Team goals to her name and helped win that 2022 CONCACAF Women's Championship. Midge Purse. Currently playing for Gotham FC. She was a NWSL best 11 selection in 21. She has four national team goals to her name. Also part of that CONCACAF W championship. And finally, Jaden Shaw, 
probably the player I'm most excited about. Still just a teenager, skips college, playing for San Diego Wave, uh, could earn her first senior team cap. Uh, I'm going to say right now, uh, this account is an M.A. Vignola uh, Stan account, 100%. <laughs> uh, is this uh, where we play Rocky Top? Uh, M.A. was a junior and senior during my two years at Tennessee. Uh, really dynamic player. Um really good at breaking players down in one-on-one situations. She's definitely been a late bloomer kind of at every stage of her career. So in high school, she didn't really break out till the end of her career. She was pretty under-recruited and not saying that Tennessee isn't like a great place to be, but for women's soccer, it's definitely not one of the marquee programs across the country. Um, Definitely some better places that she probably could have gone a la Duke, North Carolina, NC State, even in the SEC with like Arkansas or historically South Carolina. Um, But she played at one. I remember, I distinctly remember um, a match against Florida that the, that then they're not the Lady Vols. The women's soccer is not the Lady Vols. They are the Vols. But the, uh, the Vols beat Florida one, nothing. And she played every single position along the left side of the field. So she started as a true left winger. Our left back got hurt. So she just moved back to left back, played almost in a hybrid wing back role to end the first half, then opened the second half as the left forward, basically playing as a striker and then closed the game back at left back. And she played all 90 minutes, but the whole freaking game, um, and even though she didn't score and didn't assist on the goal, she was very clearly like the most important player on the field uh, for Tennessee at that time. So this is an M.A. Vignola stand account. No clue if she'll even see the field, but the second she does, Twitter will know about it. So be sure to follow because CONCACAF on Twitter to follow that. But uh, overall thoughts on the squad. I mean, it's basically the World Cup squad. So. Um, I mean, it's going to be good to, I guess, see this group back together again, uh, minus a few players. Um, again, good to good to see some of the young guns hopefully get some time. Um, I completely forgot that Jaden Shaw like existed because I felt like she was in a good bit of the conversation before the World Cup to likely have an outside shot to make the roster. And she didn't. And Silly me, I think I just kind of removed her from that part of my brain. So I think it's going to be great to hopefully see her uh, make her first senior level cap over the next week. And honestly, just to kind of see what she can do with this group and at this level, because at the end of the day, playing for the national team is much different than playing in NWSL. I think a lot of people almost considered her as like a World Cup snub, which is insane to say for someone who is not of drinking age. Yeah. Um, I think for me, it's the the forward group is the most interesting. You know, it's a bittersweet moment as we say goodbye to two legends. But you know, the the part that no one, the part that's not fun to talk about is that you do have to replace them and their production, mm-hmm. especially Rapino, and especially when you looked at the World Cup and how anemic the United States was offensively. I mean, we were great defensively. Um, you know, barely allowed a goal but there's just not enough going forward. And I do think there's a lot of interesting players, you know, the ones that were there as well, you know, in Australia and New Zealand, but even within this group to add even more levels of dynamism. Um, so yeah, no, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to hopefully that's what I'm looking forward to the most is like, okay, like we saw all the world cup players and not that they're not great. And I enjoy watching them play, but you know, well, what, I will what new say... do we have to mix? Makes sense. I will say we also there were a lot of players we didn't see at the World Cup. I mean, Ashley Sanchez didn't get yep. a single minute to my knowledge, yep. and then in her first game back with the Spirit, scored. Um, we never saw happen. Alana Cook. Um, I don't. I mean, we saw Sofia Huerta for what maybe ten minutes against Vietnam, maybe. Yeah, barely. If, if my memory is correct, so like. I mean, for some of these players, this might be their first action since we played, what, Republic of Ireland in the farewell tour right before the World Cup. So yep. um, I think I think this is a chance, I think, for a lot of these players to kind of get back into the swing of things and maybe look at it as an opportunity. I mean, not not to be 
maybe I don't want to say I don't even maybe an unsensitive here, but like if you're a Midge Purse or Jaden Shaw with with no Sophia Smith and still no Mallory Swanson, I mean this like this 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 is as good of an opportunity as any to potentially cement yourself as a mainstay in the squad over these next couple windows. Absolutely. Uh, so the United States women have already qualified for next summer's Olympic tournament by virtue of their 2022 CONCACAF Women's Championship title. But the final berth from the region will be determined by a two-leg aggregate playoff between the second and third place finishers from that competition, Canada and Jamaica. The away goals rule is in play for this, even though a lot of competitions have done away with it, that is still in play. The first leg will be Friday night in Kingston, while the second leg will be Tuesday night in Toronto. I'll remind you that Canada is the reign Olympic gold medalist from Tokyo and won bronze in Rio and London before that. However, they did crash out of the group stage in an admittedly tough group at the World Cup as Australia, Australia and Nigeria advanced ahead of them. Jamaica, on the other hand, has never qualified for an Olympics, but did make the knockout stage of, of the World Cup for the first time this summer, drawing France and Brazil and beating Panama, then falling to Colombia in the round of 16. Dom, what are you looking for in this matchup? This is going to be chaos. And I remember saying this in the summer. Well, it was, it was the summer of 22. So last summer, I remember we were in Harrisonburg in Billy Jack's maybe drunk, maybe completely sober, probably the former, eating sticky nugs, watching the U.S. Women's National Team's opener against Haiti. And I felt like I was speaking to a wall that was our entire table, trying to explain to everybody the importance of that tournament. The fact that we won that tournament means we don't have to go through any of this shit. We got into the World Cup, got into the W Gold Cup, and got into the Olympics all by virtue of winning that competition. Because Canada didn't, they have to play at at Jamaica to make the defending gold medalists may not make the Olympics because they're going to go play on a gravel road in (laughs) Kingston, Jamaica, and Bunny Shaw is going to have a hat trick. And (laughs) I, I am so here for it i think this is going to be fantastic soccer i think it's going to be chaotic i think it's going they're going to be some elements of terrible just because of the nature of that first leg being in kingston i think jamaica wins that first leg 2-1 and i think canada is forced to chase some goals in toronto and it's going to be great it's on paramount plus give it a watch It's going to be entertaining as hell. And you know what's going to be even better? When we're watching Canada have to go to Guatemala to make the W Gold Cup. (laughs) Jamaica to the Olympics. But probably not because Christine Sinclair is going to find a way to score like seven goals across the two matches. But I can't wait. I mean, you mentioned both their names. Like, for me, the headline is just two absolutely prolific strikers. Christine Sinclair, the legend. I guess she's going to try and go for, like, 200 international goals. She's still playing. Uh, And then Manchester City's Khadija Bunny Shaw, another VFL. Superstar for them. Um, Didn't have, like, a great productive world. Like, didn't score at the World Cup, but still absolutely has that potential. Interesting matchup of... Teams that are in not great places with their federation, the Canadian Soccer Federation, is literally flirting with bankruptcy. Their men's coach, John Herdman, who won those two bronzes with the women as their head coach, just left to take the Toronto FC head coaching job. The men simply didn't play any matches in the last FIFA window because the federation couldn't afford it. That's not great. Jamaica, also not in a great place. The players released a statement before the World Cup expressing disappointment and a lack of funding and logistical support. So not a great our, our, our because CONCACAF vibes meter is in the red for off the field. But like you said, I think it's going to be it's going to be some chaos for me outside of the two. The two strikers are easily the stars, the, the players to watch. Um, but for Canada, Adriana Leone scored Canada's only goal at the World Cup. That wasn't an own goal from another team. She just signed with Aston Villa 
uh, in the FA Women's Super League in England. And then for Jamaica, Tottenham goalkeeper Rebecca Spencer was phenomenal for them at the World Cup. Kept three clean sheets. Clean sheets. Um, and allowed just one goal. I I can't wait. I mean, I, like, there's a good chance that Canada gets their feces consolidated and they just blitz Jamaica and win on aggregate by six or seven goals. But to me, there's also a chance that they don't because you'll note Jamaica made the knockouts of the world cup and Canada didn't Jamaica tied Brazil. Canada couldn't get a result against Australia on the final match day. Um, I don't know. I'm excited. I think it's going to be fun. I think it's going to be chaotic. I, for chaos's sake, I'm rooting for this thing to be tied on both total goals and away goals so that we go to extra time for no reason in Toronto. And and then it just gets weird. And, hey, I'd love to see Jamaica at the Olympics, and I'd love to see Canada have to fight tooth and nail to make the W Gold Cup playing in Panama City and Guatemala. That I mean, that would just warm my heart. Panama's up 2-0 now, by the way. 80th minute. Um, I have no idea what to expect from this game. Like, this could go any number of ways. I would not be surprised at any result here. I could not give you a prediction if if I tried. I can't wait. And you'll note Jamaica's in this position because they won the third place match against Costa Rica at that very CONCACAF W championship last summer. So, big ups to them. I, this is this is going to be absolutely. What was the score? I, I think Jamaica and Canada played in the semis of that competition. Do we have the score of that match? I'm going to pull that up. I'm sure you can pull it up on the interwebs. Wikipedia is never far away. It's... Usually three, I have three like, nil all these... sticks in my brain. That was one of the few tabs I did not have open before we started recording. Uh, one nil in extra time. Okay, then. I think Jamaica's got a chance. Winning goal scored by Calissa Van Zanten. Currently plays for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Yeah, she does. All right. Oh, wait. Is that Jamaica over Costa Rica? I meant Jamaica, Canada in the semis. Is that true? Oh, sorry. I got my... uh... I got crossed up. That was Jamaica over Costa Rica in the third place match. Semifinals, you are correct. 3 0 Canada win over Jamaica. You know what? I'm sticking with I'm sticking to my guns. Jamaica to the Olympics. Uh Adrian Leon, who I mentioned, did score in that 3 0 semifinal win for Canada. I'm just gonna stick to my guns and then be completely disappointed when it doesn't happen. Shall we talk about all the other chaos that's going on? We should, because I'm not predicting shit. Uh this upcoming February and March, (laughs) we are getting our first ever CONCACAF W Gold Cup. The United States has already qualified again through the 2022 CONCACAF Women's Championship title. The winner of Canada-Jamaica playoff will join them, along with four invited guests from South America, the top four teams at the 2022 Copa America Femenina. That is Brazil, Colombia, Argentina, and Paraguay. That leaves six remaining slots, which will be filled through a competition officially called, quote, Road to CONCACAF W Gold Cup. I love the literal names. It's like MLS's back tournament. It's just beautiful. No. This is functioning kind of like the Men's Nations League with teams split into three different leagues based on quality, but without any formal or announced promotion or relegation. League A consists of three groups of three teams each. Everybody plays each other twice, once home and away, and the group winners qualify directly for the Gold Cup. The group runners-up will enter single playoff matches with the three group winners from League B, his groups have four teams each to determine the final three qualifiers. A league C also exists, but has no qualifications, qualification berths. So we're probably not going to spend a ton of time uh, on them. Let's go quickly through the teams competing. League A, Group A, features Mexico, Trinidad and Tobago, and Puerto Rico. Group B features the loser of Canada, Jamaica, Panama, and Guatemala. Uh, 3-0 Panama now in the 85th minute. Love that. Uh, group C features Costa Rica, Haiti, and St. Kitts and Nevis. In League B, 
Group A features Guyana, Antigua and Barbuda, Suriname, and Dominica. Group B, ton of Central American flavor here, features El Salvador, Nicaragua, Honduras, and Martinique. And Group C features the Dominican Republic, Bermuda, St. Vincent and the Grenadines, and Barbados. This is a competition we're both excited to see for the first time. Dom, what are you looking for out of this uh, qualification period? Okay. One, I think it's going to be chaos. I also think there's going to be, um, I, I think the twist here to me is the fact that those playoff matches between the winners of League B and the second place in League A are one leg. Yep. Yep. One leg. That means it, that it's going to happen like right before the yes, W Gold Cup. Yes, it's basically it's kind like of like the Gold Cup prelims. It's like a play-in. It, that, that is, that's chaos, Andy. I mean, that just has disaster written all over it, which to me means that, like, like I think when you look at League A overall, like, okay, so your your easy group winners based on what we what we've seen in Concacaf historically would be Mexico, Canada, Jamaica, loser, and Costa Rica, probably, right? Um, I actually no, you'd probably say Haiti would be the favorite in Group C after their World Cup performance, right? Um, but maybe not. I don't know. Panama was also half decent at the World Cup. They scored like six goals against France for no reason. Um, I think there's going to be some teams that don't end up making the W Gold Cup because this got this format just doesn't doesn't help them in any way. Like I could easily see the loser of that Canada Jamaica tie finding their way into second in their group and then just losing a fluke match to insert league league B group winner here. Right. So I don't know. I don't, I don't see why Jamaica couldn't lose to say a Nicaragua or an El Salvador in a one-off match. Like, like that, the, the like matches like that are just impossible to predict. Right. So I, I think we're going to see a ton of chaos and I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be fun. And I'm hopeful that maybe this is a dry run for an eventual women's nations league. So that we can, what it feels like so that we see maybe more of a, a regularly scheduled um CONCACAF competition because you'll note like on the men's side there's a women's nations league in in UEFA now so it's going to be really difficult for the U.S. to schedule friendlies against Germany or Spain or England like they've done in the past because get this they're busy they're busy they're they're playing matches that matter um so I I think I'm hopeful that maybe this is a dry run for that so that maybe as early as this time a year from now, you know, we're we're seeing the U.S. kind of kind of tough it out in a group with with El Salvador and and uh, I don't know Martinique or something like that. You know, Certainly, I, I, that, maybe that would warm my heart. Um, and I think it would be like I just think it matters when you're playing at home in a competitive match. Like I just I think. I think the environment's different. I think the level of play's different, even if you're not playing the best opponent on the planet. Like I think the more situations like that you can get these players in, the more that that matters. And the more often we're playing, say, Canada or Jamaica or Haiti for something, the better those countries are going to be. And, I mean, come on, who doesn't like lifting trophies? I don't know. Maybe, Maybe I'm tripping balls. I don't know. I mean, to your point, we we have seen growth in the men's game for a lot of these smaller nations because of CONCACAF Nations League, which I would argue is, as much as I have enjoyed the U.S. winning both of the iterations of this competition, I think that is the biggest positive from it, is to give an opportunity for those smaller nations, you know, to come together, play competitive matches, have camps, just force the federations, you know, to stay in touch with players and use build camaraderie. It would be really cool to see that similar growth on the women's side, especially for because the women's side is not as deep. I mean, the men's side, you can fill a 16 team gold cup and maybe not all of those teams are competitive uh, as much as I love the sugar boys, but yeah, a lot of them are. So I think that would be a really cool thing to see. I think that is, you know, a potential benefit from this. I mean, and like you said, 
it does feel like a, I don't know why there, a league C exists right now with no qualification yeah. chances. If they're not going to do it, that'd be just kind of cruel and unusual, but yeah. just say, Hey, here's a group play these games. They don't mean anything. Another factor. And you kind of touched on this, both groups B and C in league a will have two world cup teams in them. Only one of those teams is going to be able to get a direct gold cup berth, which means at least one, and and that's not accounting for like the third team in those groups, you know, punching above their weight. At yeah. least one of those teams is going to have to play a League B winner, and I just have a feeling that we're going to discover stars. We're going to discover some teams that maybe did not have this opportunity before, and maybe they've discovered like a dual national or like you know like an American collegiate player who has a, a mom or dad like from one of these island nations that's just going to ball out and challenge one of these teams. I I think we're going to see one of these World Cup teams not make it, and I think that's going to be really, really interesting. For, for me, the other biggest headline, can Mexico get back into the conversation? They easily have the most established league outside of the U.S. and Canada in the region. They certainly have the resources and infrastructure as a soccer nation to be successful, but they missed out when... When the qualification tournament was in their home country, they missed out on the expanded World Cup when six CONCACAF teams made it. Like, this is crucial for them to get back in it. They have the easiest group on paper, at least. No World Cup participants. You know, Trinidad, Tobago, and Puerto Rico. You would think they would be able to handle business. Absolutely crucial for them. I don't outside know. Of, I don't know. I don't know either. Um, outside they, of this, they didn't even make it to... Like they lost out to Haiti on a World Cup playoff spot. Yeah. Like at the at the W championship, like I don't want to say all you had to do, but six of the eight participating teams either advanced to the World Cup or went to the next round of World Cup qualifying. And Mexico couldn't even do that. They lost all three matches. They lost one nil to Jamaica. 3-0 to Haiti. That was the really bad one. And then the and U.S., same U.S. scored, beat them 1-0. Sorry, Christy Mewis, Ron Mewis' sister. It's going to be interesting. The only teams who have ever made a World Cup from CONCACAF are the six that made it this year and Mexico. Nobody outside of the U.S., Canada, or Mexico has ever qualified for an Olympics from CONCACAF. Jamaica to the Olympics, baby. Bonnie Shaw, VFL. I will also say one other point to make on this is like, I would, again, just like the men's side, like I would love CONCACAF and Kame Bowl's relationship to grow a little bit more as well. Um, like I think the more regular competitive matches we're getting against say Brazil or um, Colombia, or I mean, even Chile and Paraguay are growing as nations, right? Like Argentina's made the last couple World Cups. Like, I think the more matches that we can get CONCACAF teams up against in South America, the better prepared both regions are going to be for World Cup qualifying and the other. So, like, I think it'd be really cool if next year was another edition of this nation's league, but an official nation's league. And it was used as qualification for the Copa America, but instead of eight teams or 10 teams or whatever Kame Bulls done in the past, they can, they can put 16 teams out there and into the world. And we can have a full 16 team competition inter inter interconfederation. I'm just going to stop saying words, but you know what I mean? I think, does I think feel, that's something that could be a result of this. You know who does it, honestly, perfectly? Is FIBA, the basketball equivalent of FIFA? Because their region, there's no North America, South America, CONCACAF, Americas. it's just Americas. Just the whole left side of the map, just one whole thing. And that feels like the future that both the men and the women should be going towards. Because it's just like the financial and eyeball factor from North America combined with just the soccer pedigree from South America. It seems like a win-win 
for everybody just to be lumped together. Um, I don't know if that will ever happen, especially for like the men's World Cup qualification, because like Conway Bulls, they're like 10 team ultra tables, basically perfect the way it is. I don't know if they would ever mess with that, but well, a close I relationship mean, would be nice. I think a close relationship, at least because I think Conway Bull wouldn't be doing a second 16 team Copa America in an eight year span if they didn't believe that they were able to profit off of it. Right. Yep. And you know, the number of people that descend from countries in South America that live in North America is vast. Right. And I think a lot of these countries know that when they play in America, they get more eyeballs on them. They get, you know, it's kind of like when Guatemala played in New York in the gold cup and the place was packed that was probably the first time a lot of those individuals had seen Guatemala play in person. So um, I, I I don't know if I necessarily see in America's region forming. Like you said, I think, I think there's a little too much history in South America alone as a continent for maybe that to happen, but a close relationship I think is, is hopefully going to be kind of the best solution. But anyway, I would love for MLS teams to play in Copa Libertadores. That would be sick. Now that that could definitely become a possibility. That could like give give me FC Cincinnati at Boca Juniors. That'd be the true Lucho Acosta derby. Could you imagine Inter Miami playing fucking River Plate with Messi? Would explode. That would be anyway. I don't want to get. I don't want to go too far down that line. We, uh, we're going to stick with the ladies for this edition of Round Robin and talk about the NWSL. Portland Thorns picked up a big 2-0 win over their rival, the Seattle-based OL Reign. Morgan Weaver had a sick volley and goal celebration combo. Look out for her on future U.S. rosters. The Thorns jumped to the top of the NWSL table with the win. The previous league leaders, San Diego Wave, fell out of that position after a 2-1 loss at home to bottom dwellers, Kansas City Current. Thanks in part to an absolute banner from Brazilian World Cup star Dabinha. Go look up that highlight if you haven't seen it. The final notable result was Gotham FC's 2-0 win over Washington Spirit. Thanks to a brace from Spanish World Cup champion Esther Gonzalez, making her home debut in front of the New York slash New Jersey faithful. Troubling times for the Spirit, who are the hometown team of this podcast and feature a lot of young American stars. Overall, the parody in the league is insane. With three match days left, the 12 teams in the league from first to last in the table are separated by just 11 points. Uh, the top six teams make the playoffs with the top two sides earning buys to the semifinals. Chaos. You showed me the table today. I was like, really? <laughs> it's nuts. It's awesome. Like the final, like no one has clinched anything. No one's eliminated. No one's clinched anything. It is all up for grabs. It's the home stretch is going to be nuts. The guest of the podcast has made his appearance for the day. <laughs> look, at, look, look at him. Look at our gray king. Splendid. Chess. Would you like to close us out, Chess? <laughs> it wouldn't be a podcast episode without a Chess appearance. It, it really wouldn't. But to your point, NWSL is a very quickly growing league. Ton of parody. Some of that. Just announced a uh, Boston expansion team as well. I mean, I would argue it and probably the English League. Or, I mean, you could probably argue those are two of the best leagues in the world. NWSL probably yeah. just for the fact that most American players play in NWSL and a lot of people. Although the European st- leagues are rapidly catching up yes. and like there is a uefa champions league now for the women and like that specifically is probably the best concentration well the talent. uefa champions league for the women's been around for quite some time i mean leon yeah. won, won that thing forever but um, like recently it has like become yeah. like really yeah i mean like yeah leon would just like wipe the floor but like now you know you got barcelona you got arsenal and manchester city Serie A teams are pretty good too um, it's on the up and up. It's pretty cool. As is the women's game, which I think, <laughs> I think it's funny how rarely do you have um, 
the men's and women's game at kind of a similar point in their calendars as you do right now. Like obviously it's September, but both are coming off recent world cups. Like I think the, the November world cup really messed up a lot of what the men's calendar used to be like right now. I think you'd be, you'd be seeing, uh, you know, a little bit more buildup for um, the euros that I think are coming up this summer. If I'm not mistaken, a little bit more for Copa America, a Copa America would have already happened, but um, you'll know everything's just kind of all over the place because of the calendar. So I feel like we're in somewhat of a dead period with, with I think coverage and attention and all of those things. There is a Euros next summer. I completely forgot about that. I believe Germany's hosting it, which is why we're able to play them in a they couple are. weeks on the men's side. Um, yeah. Should be fun. I'm excited to watch the chaos on Paramount. You got anything else before we close out? Uh, soccer is the best. Support the women's game. Love it. Well, we'll. Uh, I'm assuming we'll record at some point, kind of mid next week, once this women's window completes. We got a U.S. Open Cup final coming up, I believe, in a week, right? Yep. Wednesday, the 27th, Inter Miami. And Houston Dynamo. Maybe we'll do a cute little live reaction from that. I don't know. Maybe maybe we'll maybe we'll cook something up in a week that'll uh, be worth everybody's uh, while. I don't know. But anyway, I haven't said this in a while, but uh, my name's Don Palumbo for my esteemed and much smarter colleague, Andy Loman. This has been because Concacaf. No matter where you were listening or how you were listening, thank you for making us part of your day, night, lunch, breakfast, dinner whatever it may be. Have a great night, everybody. Enjoy the soccer, and we'll see y'all soon. See ya.